Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got a great Monday show for you. Colin Brister joins for our usual Sunday evening baseball conversation as Ole Miss takes two games with one rained out in the middle over VCU, what we learned about uh, some of the pitching roles shaking out the offense that is just obliterating uh, insufficient or uh, I would say average pitching and uh, a couple other things that we took a look around the SEC. So great conversation as always. I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that though, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox had a 4.9 unit weekend or unit Sunday to cap off a huge week of college hoops. March is right around the corner. Some of you might be listening to this in the month of March. You want to sign up for Skybox right now. They're going to consistently lead you to profit more consistently than anyone else, particularly during March Madness, because they own March Madness, just like everything else. They've also got the NASCAR package up on the site right now. It is free for another week or so, I believe. Then they're going to put that behind a paywall. Be sure to check that out. If you buy it, use the promo code NASCAR for 30% off. All other purchases, use the promo code RIPPY, and you get 20% off. Use that promo code to let them know we sent you. But they're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether it's month-long, season-long. If you just want to try it for March Madness, do it for a month. Or you can do it for you know a day or a week at any point in March Madness. But I'd recommend Rocco with Skybox all year long because all they do is put money in your pocket. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. You know the drill at this point. LB's is the best place in Mississippi to get meat and in the world for that matter. Oxford is so lucky to have it. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get type in your email, you get a free newsletter from me, me three to five times a week and discounted meats. Right now it's a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Just go show Greg proof of subscription and it'll get you set up and then go find your own favorites, whether that's all the different cuts he's got going on over there, some crab stuff, mushrooms, delicious sausages, fresh seafood. You need to check them out. I always love the filet burgers. Go find your own favorites at LB's. Soon to be in the central Mississippi area as Greg is opening a Glugstat location. So how about that? The Jackson Metro will have a, uh, LB's as well, so you can enjoy it too. Weather's about to get warmer. Grilling season's right around the corner. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Go buy LB's. You won't regret it. It will make your grilling experience much better. Check him out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister on Ole Miss's 6-0 start. All right, we now welcome on repeat rights baseball correspondent Colin Brister. You are now a state, not state champion, but state tournament bound basketball coach as well. Congrats to uh, you. What's up, man? Yeah, not much, not much. Final four. So we play oh. Tuesday. It's Yeah, it's uh. Uh, quite the turnaround we had a week to prepare for this game and then we have 48 hours to prepare for the next one so uh not not a whole lot of sleep's been had the last 48 hours are they still making y'all play those games in the coliseum they are two years ago before covid they had moved everything to Ole Miss and state's campus and now it is back at the lovely coliseum in jackson I am far from a stadium snob. I understood why the tad pads sucked, but I would go sit in there and be like, I mean, whatever. This is what it is. This is kind of embodiment of Ole Miss basketball. 
whenever I went and go cover those games they play in Jackson down there, I think I covered two of them. My immediate reaction upon walking in that place was, what a dump. Like, it is bad, dude. It so, is bad. I've I never realized how outdated it was. And, like, the rodeo, I used to go to the rodeo as a kid. Yeah. That kind of hides it because, you know, there's dudes chasing animals on dirt on the ground, and it doesn't look right. as bad. But, like, when it's serving, it's – I won't call it its intended purpose, but you – basketball is more of a normal thing to have in there than, say, like a rodeo. It, you can't hide it. it. It's awful. So, apparently, used to – I don't know if they still do this. I guess I'll find out Tuesday. Um Apparently, they would do the rodeo the week before the basketball state championship, so it smelled just god-awful um, oh. during the state championships. I'm really hopeful that was not the case last, or this past week. Yeah, I imagine the uh, the ventilation system is not great. <laughs> I thought I was going to say the these. They say the depth perception is awful because, like, right behind the goal, it's just like a straight runway. And what – yeah, I, I remember that. You have to walk the, the entrance, and I'm sure this is the same entrance everyone uses because I think there might be only one entrance and one exit in that entire thing. You had to walk like 25 yards just to get out to the wood part of the court. That was another bizarre thing. I could actually – Yeah, that's, that that's what – uh perception is brutal behind that because there's also no fans, right? Oh, no, there's, there's fans. There's so – but the, I, I'm, I guess I mean like lower area. Like they don't have oh. seated in that lower area that you walk across, right? Right, right, right. So our coach told us like, – he's been there before. Uh, he was there two years ago. He said it is about like three-fourths – or not. He, he was being facetious, but it's like – he said it's a quarter of a mile from the locker room to the court. So he's like you're, you're going to come out of the locker room and think you're walking forever to get to the floor. It is, it is bizarre. I saw uh, Kermit Davis – Kermit Davis is outside of his locker room in the area that you're talking about. And I was actually going to get like a drink or something. He was just kind of pacing a little bit, like kind of thinking right for a game. And like I walked past him and he just kind of smirked and said, you know, Hey Brian or whatever. But like, it was like, we knew it without saying it like, Oh my God, let's get out of this hell hole. Oh, he's done playing there. It's not revisionist history. Like I was distinctly remembering that moment. <laughs> I was looking at him like, you're a good man for bringing your team down here. Because he's never going back there. Of course, he might not be here next year. Who knows? But um, he's not going back to Jackson Memorial Coliseum. Because if I remember right, they played terrible at, at, like, a game there and almost lost a really bad, like, southeastern Louisiana team. I think that day which should count yeah. as like 38, right, in that place. I think they had a light or two out in there, too. I remember looking up at the ceiling, and I think there was a light or two out, and I was like, Neil, get a load of this. Like, this place is not even fully lit. It's oh, me. Well, uh, I'll tell you this. You know, I can make fun of Jack, the, the Coliseum, all I want. Uh, our kids are excited to go play in it, so I'm happy for them. But, um, yeah, I'll be completely honest. I did not watch much on Friday. I watched the whole game today. But uh, Friday, Friday kind of got away from me. I, I saw Derek throw the first three innings, I think. But – didn't look like uh, Ole Miss had much issue with them. No, they did not. And really, like, the, the diamond, I would say, from a pitching side was the main part of it, except for uh, there was some Hunter Elliott stuff in there that I'll, we'll get to in a minute. Right. Yes, they did not have lighting issues. They had weather issues, which you, I guess you could get in the Coliseum or the Tad Pad, which you're not supposed to. But Ole Miss only plays two games this weekend. They are uh, obviously win both of them fairly handily. And – um, I guess it was a combined score of like 25 to 7 or something. Anyway, they put it on him. Ole Miss did not have much of an issue with uh, a VCU team that lost a lot from being a two-seed a couple uh, – or excuse me, being a two-seed last year. And from a 
pitch both really I was about to say from a pitching standpoint but outside of two dudes their lineup wasn't overly impressive either it was uh just really not really a fair fight from that standpoint Ole Miss totally overwhelmed them offensively but I will say they returned a decent bit from their staff last year that was a two-season regional they certainly lost more in the order and you know this wasn't a bunch of kids thumbing it at 80 something miles an hour and so I guess I just kind of contradicted myself by accident but I guess what I'm getting at is this offense is going to overwhelm pedestrian to average pitching and I think some of that could translate to weaker bullpens and weaker rotations in the SEC I think this was the first game that it was a case of this offense made the opponent look worse than it actually is because what are you actually going to gather from Arkansas State and Charleston Southern this team was in an NCAA tournament last year and Ole Miss made their pitching look completely inept so I, I think that's a really interesting way you put that because I was thinking on the on the way up here a few minutes ago. It, you know, if you watch, if you look at Drew McDaniel's line today, and I'm not, I, I know you want to talk about hitting, but I'm gonna, I'm kind of going to tie it together here. You look at Drew McDaniel's line today, and you know, last week, and it's like I don't know if he's great. Here's the thing with him though, with this offense, what they can do to Sunday pitching to back ends of pitching staff they provide the opportunity for a guy like him to go out there and give four innings and give up three runs, and that's exactly what you want. That's how good this offense is, if you see what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. they they make it where you can do a lot of different things with your pitching staff, and you don't have to be great at a lot of things on the on the mound, and you can do things differently because they are that good offense. They, I mean, they got dudes on the bench that would start at a lot of SEC schools. For um, a team that's – yeah, go ahead. Finish your thought. Sorry. No, I was just saying it's it's unreal how talented they are offensively. Yeah, it's a good point that you make. And on top of that, you coach baseball from a mentality standpoint. Like, if you're weighing the pros and cons of this as a pitcher, I I kind of ingest say cons. But if there's one con is they are sitting around for long periods of time, which yeah. I know is not great when you get a dude through. But now that we have that one out of the way, it can change your mindset in a positive way as a pitcher. Can it not knowing? Look, like Ole Miss went down three to nothing today and it was hardly completely the fault of Drew McDaniel with the way they started but they got it back almost immediately and so like it never even felt like they were put in a hole and some of that is the opponent but I imagine for a pitcher it has to change your mindset a bit um when you kind of know you have that behind you and you don't have to be great like what actually goes into that like what would you be thinking as a pitcher if you had an offense like this uh throw the ball over the strike zone let my defense play and and now Something is a little bit concerning is, is, is some defensive errors. I'm not, you know, ready to say, hey, this is bad defense. But I, I, I'm ready to say, like, hey, could we please clean this up? Because I'm tired of watching Ole Miss kick balls around. Um, but, no, if I'm a pitcher, man, like, I'm not scared to make a mistake. Like, in, in that 2-0 count to a really good hitter, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to attack him. If he hits it over the wall, whatever. Kevin Graham's going to hit one over the wall. Or Tim Elko's going to hit one over the wall. Or, hell, Taiwan Malone's going to hit one over the wall. Um, so – you know, I, yeah, it, it, you're right. It does change your mentality as a pitcher because, like, hey, and there's been there's been the reverse, right? Like, if you remember in 2013 with Bobby Wall, it's like, hell, that team couldn't score. Bobby Wall had to be perfect. It's the exact inverse of that right now. It's, hey, just, just let your defense go play, and if they hit a ball over the wall, so be it. They'll go get it back. Um, and you hope that continues and continues, and I don't really see a reason why it's not, like – I know you can say, hey, the competition is whatever. Here's a stat for you. 
almost has scored 74 runs this year over the equivalent of five games. Like when you consider all the lost innings and everything, they've scored that over five games, not six. Well, four, because, well, yeah, but point still stands, right? Because they didn't get – oh, no, 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 you're right. It is six That's games. That's what I'm saying. They, they played six, right. but they've lost an entire game of at-bats. Um, and they've scored 74 runs over five games. So that's 15 runs a game. Like, it, you know, That'll I play. mean, just, yeah, I mean, it's just, they're really, really good. If you want to hit, you hit on the, the, we might as well just get to it now, the defensive part of it, because that is the, probably the one, if you're talking bigger picture storylines or larger general storylines so far through just very young season is they haven't been very good defensively. Um really at any point throughout these six games. Um, they had a slow start today that cost them. And then there is one more from the first weekend that I can't remember. I think it was the first – it was opening day, and I think they had a four-error game, and one of them was early on in the game. For a team as good as they are that we just outlined as they're going to be offensively, for a team that's, one, still trying to figure it out on the mound, and a team that we don't think will necessarily – um starting pitching won't necessarily be at strong point because now you're starting to see seeds in the bullpen where like, okay, they could, they got some options here, but for a team that's not necessarily going to pride itself on its starting pitching. And if that becomes a weak point, you don't necessarily want your defense being that sort of sloppy no. because that turns a weak point even into a greater one. Like you can play into it. It can turn it into an almost, I don't want to say fatal fall because it's still so early in the season, but Dudes are trying to get confidence. Like Derek Diamond, whether he wants to, like whether he would admit it or not, is probably still trying to gain some confidence from some struggles last year. Drew McDaniel certainly is. That's not what you don't want to put them behind a shoddy defense. And Ole Miss has not played great defense so far. It's something to monitor, to say the least. Sure. So I mean, yeah, call it what it is with this defense. So let's put it like this: the and I know fielding percentage isn't a great stat, but I think this early in the year it's fine because we've seen all the scoring, and I don't really think I disagreed with anything. So the teams Ole Miss has played so far, right? Uh, Charleston, Southern, Arkansas State, VCU have been abysmal defensively, right? Like, would you agree with that? They've been pretty terrible, right? Yes, because the, 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 what plays into that is sometimes Ole Miss will have nine runs on the scoreboard, and I'm like, I don't even think they've had that great a day yet. Often. So. So here's the thing. If we think that those teams were abysmal defensively, they, against Ole Miss, fielded 933. Ole Miss fields 937 on the year. It, it, is, it is not very good defensively right now. Um, and now here's the thing. There's two things. It's cold. It's miserable. You're scoring a lot of runs. You sometimes lose some focus. I get it but it needs to get fixed and it, and it needs to probably get fixed this weekend because this weekend is the, the weekend where, Hey, you to central Florida and you screw around and you kick three balls and maybe some balls don't fall. And Oh crap. You look up, you're in a four to three game and you're behind in the seventh. Um, so, so this is the weekend where I, that, that, that type of stuff needs to get cleaned up for sure. And now if you remember, right. Uh, we had this conversation early last year, like those struggling defensively early last year. And while there were still some defensive miscues, they got a lot better over the course of the season. So your hope as an Ole Miss fan is that it continues to get better. Yeah, that is that is true. And the 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 one positive that you hit, or not positive, the one argument you can make against it is everything you just outlined, right? The cold. They're not in close games where you're look, I know I know you're supposed to be locked in before every pitch, yeah. like the pre-pitch routine or whatever, but it's hard to remain engaged, I think, throughout through some of these uh, some of these blowout scores. 
And then the other part of it is, and you look at how their position and who's playing what position, it shouldn't end up being a bad defense, right? Like you're no. actually getting better defense than you got last year having Elko play first base. You're getting better defense there, which, you know, if you squeezing more value out of Tim Elko is almost impressive at this point, but you are because you don't have a Kale Baker over there. And depending on what shakes out at third base and at center field, if you could potentially have McCants at a corner outfield spot and bench in center, whether that plays out or not, it really is not like crucial to the point. It shouldn't be a terrible defensive outfield. And then you look across everywhere else, Jacob Gonzalez, Peyton Chatagnier, and then, you know, whoever's at third, it should be pretty good. So that leads me to believe maybe it's some early season type stuff. But, again, something to monitor. But I think it's different than – I'm trying to think of one. Like that 17 team that had uh, Tate Blackman, what was left of him from an athletic standpoint at second base, and then just Dillard out in left field because he could hit. That was never going to be a good defensive team, and you probably knew it opening day where this is different. Right. Yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like Justin Bench who kicked the ball today, and you don't expect Justin Bench to keep kicking balls. Um, Peyton Schottenhead, Millie. Now, there's – Peyton makes some throwing errors sometimes, but he hardly ever makes glove side errors, and he made one of those today. Um, you know, so some of it is, you know, just guys that you don't think are going to make errors or making errors. And if you're an Ole Miss fan, I would be willing to wager that at some point that's going to get cleaned up because – Mike's got to get on him about something, and it's kind of hard after you can like this. It's like, well, we pitched it well and we swung it well. Um, if I'm going to be constructive, if I'm going to give constructive criticism about anything, it's got to be the defense. So I figure you'll – at some point this week, I mean, they've got two games against ULM, three against UCF. Um, I, I would venture to say the defense is better this week. Let me ask you this because I, I, I don't know if I'm concerned yet. I don't think I am, but – we were told last Saturday, I think, that or maybe Sunday, that Hayden Dunhurst's injury was not as serious as Peyton Chatney's injury last year to his hamstring. We have not seen him since that Saturday when he was removed from the game. Is it time to get like a little bit worried about it, or do you think it's just a, a cold deal, like like it's too cold to play? In? So I definitely, it was definitely it obviously raised antennas on when Mike put the lineup out on Friday. Although if you checked our message board, that is not what people were upset about. <laughs> no, there's another Hayden they were upset about. We can get uh, we can get to that a little later, but it was um yeah certainly it raised antennas immediately, and I don't know if Mike if if we got an update regarding um that I haven't actually looked through Chase's game coverage yet, which I probably should have done. Uh, prior to coming on to this so I can actually look that up in real time as we go through it but certainly it is like you know Mike said I think quote at the latest he will be back as Friday meaning there's a chance he the way I interpreted that last week was there is a chance he misses the midweek game but like right. left open the possibility even though what's the point of playing Tate Dunhurst against Arkansas State he may not he may not have played that sucker fully healthy if that game's in March but it, point being it certainly, it certainly raised antennas because it went beyond what Mike said. And Mike doesn't usually give hard deadlines like that unless he's pretty sure, which I was actually even surprised he gave that out at the time. But there's also one hand of this that, wants, that I tend to believe that it's probably out of an abundance of caution because with these hamstring injuries, which I learned this very quickly in football, there's no – like. I was, I was thinking about this today. In the history of hamstring injuries, has a dude ever come back at or before the initial start date? Like, or <laughs> that date, you know what I mean? They, these are some things that tend to linger. And because the only thing you can really do, aside from I'm sure there's treatments and stuff that I don't know about, but, like, the only way to test it is to get out there and run. And the only way to 
kind of heal it is rest beyond, like I said, probably some other minor stuff. And so it's one of those things. And if it's not fully healed, that sucker can linger for months. And so I wonder right. how much of this is an abundance of caution versus maybe it taking a little longer for him to heal and come back a hundred percent, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I have, uh, if I am Mike Bianco, he does not play until he's a hundred percent. Um, I just worry, not worried. Again, that's the wrong word. I just, I kind of think that maybe they were a little bit, maybe too optimistic early and that it's going to take a little bit longer than, you know, the three days that they originally said. Obviously, it took a little bit longer than the three days they originally said uh, for him to be 100% healthy. I would like to see him catch one of these uh, games on Tuesday or Wednesday against UL Monroe. Um, just frankly, for uh, my blood pressure. I would I would like him to catch one so I I know my my the, the guy's okay. Yeah, I think that's a that's a like if he's not back out there for UCF when they go to Orlando, that's when you kind of start thinking, okay, this might be like this may have been a little more serious. But honest to God, if he's back by SEC play, it's kind of largely no harm, no foul. Like I'll right. get tested a little bit more against UCF. But, like, that would lead me to believe he's not out there this weekend against UCF, that it's probably something more than just an abundance of caution, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Right. Yeah, if, if he doesn't play this weekend, then, I mean, at some point, like, um, you know, he's injured. Now, it helps that the guy they put in for him has a 1.243 OPS and he's hitting 538. That does help. And that's you kind know? of been a quiet thing. Um, I mean, look – I, I had it up a second ago. I can probably go find it again. But I was looking at uh, Calvin Harris's numbers so far this year, and the dude is hitting quite well, um, like really well in the opportunities he's been given. And he's not striking out a bunch either, which I think is good. Um, his production at the plate, which is largely – like, I don't know. I, don't, I would love to see a Calvin Harris spray chart, but it, it, it's a lot of singles. I think he only has one extra base hit, and he's kind of hitting the ball everywhere, which is a sign that a dude's matured a little bit as a hitter. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was some feast or fam, uh, famine at times last year. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's – look, they signed that kid, and they knew he was going to be really good, and they knew they were going to have to be creative in, in getting him on the field because they knew he didn't need to sit for two years behind Dunhurst because he's a really good player and a really good hitter. Um, and it's starting to show. There were signs last year the kid could really, really hit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, only, it's only been proven more and more true uh, this year. So, good for him. Um, it's, I tell you, somebody else that continues to impress the play is Kemp Alderman. I mean, it, it's just the power's there. And you can just kind of tell the approach is getting better and better. And, man, like, if there's seven, eight, nine hits, like, good luck. I don't really know what you're supposed to do. Because <laughs> their one through six is a buzzsaw. So, if Alderman and Leatherwood and Van Cleve and uh, Harris and Dunhurst and some of those cats hit, like, man, you, you're going to be in for some long days if you're trying to get Ole Miss out. As it pertains to Harris, too, as you mentioned, he was a really highly coveted recruit. Like, he was a guy – it was huge when they landed him, and it was kind of an interesting dynamic going into last year to where it's like, I mean, like Dunhurst is going to play, obviously, and be the starter. But, man, what a hell of a second option. How do you find ways to get him at bats elsewhere? And then, of course, we found out he has the injury or whatever, and he can't, uh, Calvin Harris can't catch. He can only DH. But I, I guess to add on to your point regarding that – I thought one of the bigger surprises last year was how much he struggled hitting. And, like, I guess it wasn't totally inconceivable, you know, new guy, new to SEC 
um, SEC pitching and not necessarily playing every day. But like that was not the that was not I guess kind of the scout on him going in. I was more surprised that he didn't hit because I think if you'd have made me bet on a DH last year, like my wild card for winning the everyday DH job, which they still didn't really have, uh, you know, even as the year got deeper and even into the end of the year, was probably well, they, had, they, they had they had a they had an everyday DH at the end of the year. Uh, that's true <laughs> by, um Tim Elko by necessity but like I guess you get my point like when you're getting right. pre-Elko injury or pre-Elko return it was still kind of a revolving door I was more surprised that Harris didn't hit so this kind of feels more toward the norm again six games we'll see but you know the dude's got seven hits and 13 at bats uh, that will play so here, here's something I just wrote this down because I wanted to I wanted to say it on air so Ole Miss if when Hayden Leather or excuse me when Hayden Dunhurst is healthy, they have seven guys penciled into spots, right? Um, and we can go through them. Ben, uh, McCants, Bench, Graham, Chatney, uh, Elko, Gonzalez, and Dunhurst. Those seven guys are penciled into spots. And I feel like it's pretty pretty easy to say that the two other spots will come from Reagan Burford, Hayden Leatherwood, Ben Van Cleve, and Kemp Alderman, Do you, uh, and, and Calvin Harris. Does that seem fair to you? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So here is uh, currently Mike's issue, okay? And I say issue, and it's almost funny I say issue. Calvin Harris has an OPS of 1.240. Reagan Burford has an OPS of 1.078. Leatherwood, 1.253. Ben Van Cleve, 1.367. And Alderman, 1.065. Brian, there's only nine spots on the field last time I checked. Like, I I know competition and all that, but – these dudes are all raking. How do you distinguish among them? Right. It, that's going to be the most fascinating part of from the hitting standpoint um, throughout the rest of this non-conference season because, you know, to a degree, I guess the lineup's a little different, particularly DH, a DH mixed in. But you want to have some sort of regularity, right? Because, like, you know, I guess the rotating door of all four of those the way they've been rotating them so far is not necessarily going to be conducive for conference play. So it's going to be fascinating to see how Mike sort of like settles in, but you can also afford to tweak it throughout the year. You see that, you know, on good teams, bad teams, whatever, like you can afford to find those dudes at bats and kind of play with it a little bit when you have that many good options. But like at some point he's going to want to settle on some semblance of regularity. And I think you're starting to probably see that with the whole, um, like I thought today, if you made me guess like what their best lineup is overall, it was the one they put out there today, but maybe Reagan Burford continues to hit where that completely proves me wrong. Um, but it's going to be fascinating to see how he settles into something before they go to Auburn to open SEC play because, as you mentioned, no one has faded yet. And will that change? Potentially. But, again, I mean, you're two weekends in, you got two more left, and it certainly hasn't faded yet. I'm fascinated to see how that part of it plays out. Yeah, I mean, just got dudes that can rake, man. Um, and credit to – hey, you know, look, I, I, I would be hard-pressed to uh, – or somebody would be hard-pressed to convince me this is not the best lineup in the country. Um, and that's a credit to a lot of things, development, recruiting. Um, and that's and, and when you've got dudes off the bench that can swing it like Ole Miss can swing it, man, that's, that's when you know you're, you're, you're really doing a real good job in recruiting and developing from an offensive standpoint. Because um, they got cats. Look, Ole Miss is going to lose a lot next year. I mean, they're going to lose Elko for sure. I would figure Graham is, is probably gone. Um, don't know about Bench and Chatney, but they're going to lose probably a decent amount. And, you know, obviously Ben Van Cleve and Leatherwood are out of eligibility. 
Um, and they've got dudes that are going to step in and be ready to go, um, which is, which is really, really impressive. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what else to say about this offense. It's, it's, it's the best in the country. And depending on the result of this Arkansas game that I'm currently watching, which is three to two in the sixth, if Arkansas loses, it's going to be almost will be ranked number two in the country tomorrow. So, um, and probably rightfully so. I kind of, I, I mean, I think it's them and Texas right now are the best two teams in the country, which doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot on March 1st or February 28th, whenever this comes out. But um, it does mean that you're an extremely talented ball club. You know, we did not mention in the mix of those last four spots either. And Taiwan you know, Malone. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to, we'll get to that. We probably, we probably should have led the podcast with that with how electric it was. But I'd like to see a little bit more because uh, I've got something for first at bat and a second bat. But no, Calvin Harris, like he can right. DH and he's healthy and he can throw now. If that guy keeps hitting, are you going to keep him off the field? I mean, I guess no, you know, eventually you can only rotate and manage so many guys. But that's a dude who obviously he's not going to be the everyday catcher, but like if he continues to hit at the clip that he is and not strike out, and he's actually walked three times, which is actually more than I remember, like what do you do with that? At, at a certain point, he could hit to a level where you, you can't take him out of the lineup either, or you would be hard-pressed to would be a better way to put it. Well, man, like at some point you're going to be hard-pressed to take anybody out of this freaking lineup. Right, yeah, you're uh, right at that point. But I was just like – I was, thought it was interesting. We had the, the – we talked about the four and filling out the yeah. other two spots. From a DH standpoint, and I'm assuming Calvin Harris could you know, put on a glove and go play a corner outfield spot. Maybe I'm wrong in that. He can. Option, but he like, can. Yeah, like it, at a certain point you got to factor him into it too, which is – which is kind of wild to think about, which I always bring up, I think, on every show we've done so far this year. It's also going to be important because the odds of them remaining completely healthy for the entire stretch of the season is just not necessarily realistic. Um, so you talk about depth and the ability to move guys around, that's going to play to their advantage in that, in that right as well. Here, I'll put it to you this way. Does anyone have a one through 13 from a hitting like, that's as deep as Ole Miss? Like, it's weird to say. And, like, I probably don't know enough about the other 13 SEC rosters, but there's just no way, right? I mean, there's no one. I mean, is, no one is dealing with this sort of issue right now from a lineup standpoint, if you want to call I it. Mean, I mean, let's put it like this um, Mississippi State got blanked by Long Beach um, last week. They scored three in the second game and lost to Northern Kentucky on Friday. Uh, Texas AM got blanked by Penn. Arkansas scored zero against Stanford today and currently has two in six innings against Louisiana's number three pitcher. Alabama scored one run at the University of Texas this weekend. Um, so, yeah, uh, well, point is, yeah, this is the best lineup in the SEC, and it's extremely, extremely deep. Um, they've got dudes that can play, man. And I, I, I think – I'll say it right now. I think the SEC is a little bit down this year from how good it usually is. I don't think – I mean, we talked about it earlier in the year. They don't have the dominant arms um, they usually do. And now they still got some good ones, but they don't have the, the just, you know, showcase arms outside of Sims that they usually do. And I, I think this is a good year for a team like Ole Miss to be really good, if that makes sense. I, I think this is a good year from how the league dynamic works for, for Ole Miss to be really good offensively. I think you're right as well. Kind of looking up and down, before we get to the pitching side of it, I just wanted to roll through some – I did like the – I guess my annual Sunday look at the uh, the spreadsheet and the statistics so far, and this is in no rhyme or reason or really has no pattern to it. It's just stuff I noticed and wrote down with a pen because I find the exercise interesting. Um, Peyton Chatagnier, he had three RBIs on Friday without a hit. 
Yeah, three sack flies. That I had another uh, sack fly today. Yeah, that is interesting. And then another thing to – I don't know if it's worth monitoring, but we talked about how this team's probably not going to run a ton because it's not some, something they've done. I don't know how many of these are pass balls, so excuse me, but they've stolen eight bases in nine oh, attempts. That, through yeah, six, that, doesn't, ca- that doesn't count on – wild pitches don't count on that. So, okay, so pass ball uh, doesn't either. I didn't know how that worked. That's uh, actually, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, that eight, as as eight and nine. Bench got stolen, uh, thrown out today. TJ's three of three. That's pretty impressive. Um, so, yeah, they won't run a lot, but um, I think they'll be really good when they do. So, um, you know, you got guys like McCants and, and Bench that can really run, um, you know. So, yeah, I think uh, I think they'll be – I think they'll run in spots where – they think this. And I said, it's said the thing with them, man, is like it's so hard to run when like Tim Elko's up. You really gonna chance getting thrown out? Hell, he might hit it out. You get to jog from first, second, or third. What's the point of stealing? Um, so you know, it's just it's just kind of hard for, for guys like Bench and McCants, who I figure want to run more than what they do, but like there's not really a point sometimes. Kevin Graham, he has Good. twenty total bases. He's got 12 RBIs. He's hit the ball over the fence three times. He is hitting 375. His OPS is 1,200. And he started the year 0 for 8. He was 0 for 4 in each of the first two games. <laughs> People were starting to worry. It's like, is Kevin Graham any good? Yeah, he's, he's still really good. Um, good Lord. They are hitting 341 with a 1.06 OPS. They're slugging 609. Good God. Um and look, I, 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 there's going to be nights where they get shut down because sure. the sport is weird and that happens. But, man, they are going to maul some people on Sunday and in midweeks. Like, that, this is the team that I feel like um, – I think they play 12 midweek games. They play State, Southern Miss, and so that's three of them. I think they could go like 11 and 1 or maybe even 12 and 0 in the midweek just because they're going to kill midweek pitching. Yeah, and you saw a little bit of that uh, against Arkansas State, right? They actually got down yeah. early from a couple of different things and like, you know, 25 minutes later it was there was no longer a game. The game was over. Yeah, this result was uh was not in question, but Kevin Graham, good lord, what a tear that guy is on. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Here's another one that doesn't make any sense, but in a health, healthy Hayden Dunhurst healthy lineup, the presumed eight or nine regular starters have all been hit by a pitch except for Ben Van Cleve. Does that mean oh, Ben Van Cleve is selfish? People love to disparage Ben Van Cleve. Is he not leaning into it? Does he not want to sacrifice wait, wait, wait. for the team? Ray, Ray, Reagan Burford and, and uh, Cal Harris have been hit. Yeah. So I'm not counting Harris. I guess Burford is okay. an oversight because I guess okay. I was going with the bench at third and then well either Leatherwood or uh, – how many times has bench been hit this year? Let's see. Only once, which is real progress. What? It's dis- disappointing. <laughs> I, I would bet that number goes up. I bet now he's going to get hit. He got hit no less than eighty-six times last year. There's, yeah, we thought right. Remember that year or those two years? Well, actually, tell me there was a career. Twenty-nine times. Good Lord. Like, Ryan Olenek, that, honestly, that, and Ryan Olenek was probably genuinely jealous about that because that was kind of his shtick first. Remember how often that kid got hit? So, he got hit 29 times, and the next closest was nine. Nine! That's, uh, that seems like a lot. I remember Olenek, Ryan Olenek, and I don't even mean this in a bad way, arguably the most confident person I've ever talked to in my life, he tried to sell me on that being a skill at one point. 
Um, okay. Well, he, he took 17 of them in 2019. I'm looking at his now because I remember him getting hit a lot. He took 17 uh, hit by pitches in 2019. And in 2018, he only took eight. Um, so if you combine those, he still did not do what Justin Bench did last year. <laughs> Here's a Rhino Linnet quote. That is insane. I didn't know that. There's a Rhino Linnet quote out there. I'm sure I could find it in my cell phone somewhere where he talked about wanting to play all the positions and he also pitch. And we were like, well, did you oh, pitch? God, nice yeah. He was like, yeah, I was really good. And we were like, really? Like, how do you think you do in a, uh, like at an SEC game? And it was something to the effect of, I mean, as good as anyone else. Like, like I don't know why they're not using me. That no, it was, I, I remember exactly what it was. He, he closed out a midweek game. And someone asked him if he wanted to pit or if he thought he could pitch on weekends. He was like, You saw that. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> I remember that one too. And I think it was on the effect of like, you know, were you surprised at how like easy he came? He's like, No, I expected it. You, you remember like the one they, were, they had lost like, so they lost the three games to state, the game to Arkansas State, and then two games to Tennessee. And Parker Caracci had just blown up. And they had a one-run lead at Tennessee, and Mike was like, I don't know. We're going to put the center fielder in here and see if he can close it out. My God, he did. It worked. Yeah, because that it became did. the whole storyline of, like, um, like I remember Mike had a quote on, like, that Wednesday in Hoover after Caracci had had a save in one of those close games they played to kind of kickstart that run. And he was like, we cannot win in the postseason without Parker Caracci, which was one of the most, like, bluntly true things Mike Yeah, facts. And I was like, did Ryan Olenek hear this? Because I think he thinks you can. <laughs> Ryan's fine closing. Yeah, don't don't tell that to your center fielder. Um, I'm trying to go through these stats to see if there's anything else that stuck out that I don't uh, I don't remember. Kevin Graham leading the team in hits despite having two hitless games. Yeah, yeah. Um, his own base streak got snapped, and he he just continues to rake. Yeah, he uh, goodness man, he's really good. So, um, 31 free passes to 32 strikeouts. Does that tell you anything at all? 30 wait oh yeah that's 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 what you want you want one-to-one or maybe even a little bit better than one-to-one but one-to-one plenty good with as much as this team hits the ball out of the ballpark you'll take that all day every day so um Clem does a really good job with pitch awareness and 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 plate approach so um it's just kind of what Ole Miss is it's a it's a really selective offense and and they do a really good job when you do come in the zone uh, yes, they do. I think that was just about everything. Not that there's a ton you can tell from six games in, but I always just find it fun to go do one dive of it on it a week and just see if there's something we haven't noticed. Um, Taiwan Malone, 2,500 OPS, 2,000 slugging. And a 500-foot home run. <laughs> Sustainable. Uh, and four total bases, uh, hence the end of the game today. We'll just get to that before we get to the pitching. That was pretty that was awesome. So um, look, I know baseball is a weird game. And – you know, from the very little that I tried to inquire about, like, what Tyler Malone was as a baseball player and kind of how he ingratiated – not ingratiated himself, but how he'd adjusted from football season or whatever. And it was like, look, it, it looks kind of rough. Like, he's – you know, he still, you know, looks like a dude that played football for three months is having trouble catching up to velocity. I don't know if you remember his other at-bat. I forget which game it came in. I think it was the Sunday game against um, – It was against Charleston. Yeah. Maybe or maybe it was uh actually no the this uh this is actually saying it was the Friday game against VCU. Um Oh, really, that's right. That is right. That is right. Okay. That is right. I, that seemed like a world ago. Um I don't know if you remember that at bat, but he struck out and it it wasn't 
let's just say it wasn't visually appeasing. He was – the guy was like 86, and he was behind on one, and then he chased a really bad pitch. Uh, and then the kid hit an opposite field home run. Talk about, like, the variance between two at-bats. I'm mostly just <laughs> in jest here. Obviously, you can't actually take anything from it. But I just thought it was funny to where, like, if you play that first at-bat side-by-side with the second at-bat, um, it, is, it might look like a different sport, to be completely honest. Wild game we have. Yeah. Um, but that was cool. I mean, like, he, he destroyed That was game. awesome. No. Um, kid works hard. I'm, I'm happy for him. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, why don't you just go play spring football? Because he wants to play baseball. He's pretty good at it. And I think Ole Miss thinks he can be decent at it if he keeps working. Um, they had success with two-way guys. I mean, Jerry Ely, if he wouldn't have gotten hurt, would have been pretty good for them. John Rice Plumley was a lot better as a sophomore than he was as a freshman. I mean, they, they've had success with this. And I don't know why you wouldn't, you know, think they're going to have the same success with Taiwan. So, uh, no, but that was really awesome. He, he absolutely crushed that ball. And, you know, I don't think he's going to play, you know, meaningful innings for Ole Miss this year unless, you know, he continues to hit like this. I just, and what I mean by that is, like, they're one of the best lineups in the country. They just don't have a whole lot of open spots. But I do think he's a guy, man, like next year or the year after that, he's going to got a chance to be a guy that that's in the lineup every day. I mean, I, I, you know, it wouldn't shock me at all if in two years he's your starting first baseman. And to, and to like, in terms of this year too, I, I agree with you um, regarding like the future part of it in terms of this year as well too. One football's fitting the bill. So obviously like there's no, there's no uh, risk. Like there's no, like it's not costing them anything to give the kid a shot. And two, by all accounts, he is a great – like, if you're looking for, like, a role this year, he's a great clubhouse guy. And they – like, from what I'd heard, they genuinely, like, enjoy having the guy around. It sounds pretty charismatic. Like, he's he sounds like a great clubhouse dude. And not to read too much into things, and part of this was probably just the sheer joy of a uh, – and I mean this in the most respectful way possible because he's a football player and this is a football term – a fat guy home run. A 300-pound <laughs> dude that's 6'4". Don't see those guys hitting nukes a lot. You don't see them a ton in baseball. But beyond that, did you see how pumped up they got when he hit so, home plate and they did the home run celebration? I get part of it in the game, but they were really, really jacked up that he hit that home run. You know what the scariest part of that was to me? Have you what? seen the sod? There's a there's a video on Twitter, um, not not the ESPN feed. There's a video on Twitter from an Ole Miss fan of him hitting the home run. The scariest part of that was like how big and like muscular this cat is and how fast he can run. Good God. Because he, like, hits it, and he doesn't realize it's gone, so he just, like, starts sprinting out of the box. Holy God. Like, it it reminded you how, like, unlike D1 athletes, normal human beings are. Um, Because he's, like, 6'4", 300 pounds and runs like a gazelle. Yes. Like, football, offensive and defensive linemen are the most, like, freak athletes you could probably find. Now, basketball players are a little bit different in that sense, but the sheer weight they carry around and how fast they move, it's a great point in the sense of, like, we talk about how, like, fast defensive linemen are. You just can't tell it some ways they play the position. When you put them doing, I don't want to say normal people stuff, but, like, in another sport, another setting, it, 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 it almost sticks out more. It's, well, I mean, if you take the OMS wide receiver room, to the Turner Center, they're going, like, undefeated and not playing anyone close, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, it's, it's that. It's, you don't understand how good – it's like I saw on Twitter the other day someone talking about, like, if I – could I score 10 points in an NBA game if I didn't play any defense in Snowbird? No, you couldn't. You, you, that, it would end your soul. Like, what are we talking about? 
And um, anyone who's ever anyone who's ever played an NBA game, the answer to like those that's one of those classic like age old debate questions. Every person that's actually played in an NBA game or high level hoops, like you would not score. Like you, so you not here's score. the thing with that. I don't want to spend too much time on this idiot tweet. But he was like, What if I just snowboarded? Okay, so here's what's gonna happen. When they're playing five on four defense, they're going to score ninety-two percent of the time. Um, and then you're not going to be able to get the ball in transition. They'll sprint back and stop you. So, uh, just, you know, some calculus there for you, my man. But, no, like, people – it's, it's, it's fun to me, and this is a weird way to say it, but it is fun to me when, like, freak athletes remind you that they are freak athletes and that you are nothing like them. Yes, <laughs> they are different people than us. That was a cool moment, though. And, you know, if you're kind of looking at Tom Malone and, like, what his role is this year – uh, I'd look no further. Could he become the dugout guy, the Zach Phillips? I don't know. I don't know if that's his thing. But in a serious note, it does sound like he's a great clubhouse dude that they really like having around, which you know is important in different ways that you don't always see a lot of the time, um, kind of out in uh, in game situations. So cool moment yeah. for him. That was really awesome. He had a. I was watching. It wasn't even an interview. I think the old Miss account just like asked him a question after, and he was uh, grinning ear to ear. That dude was pretty fired up that he got one to go over the fence. Um, I think he said something about the fact like he wishes it had been well, a little bit more of a hearty beer shower and it wasn't a Sunday game with like right. 35 guys out there instead of, you know, 6,000 or however many they fit out there. That would be kind of cool. So he is motivated to see an actual full-fledged beer shower. So he's got to hit another one. Yeah, absolutely. I figure, I figure there will be more Taiwan, uh, Taiwan Malone bomb in the future. I, I, I do not think my man is going to get cheated on any of his swings. Let's do what everyone's favorite exercise is and go line up construction complaints. I saw you had a tweet on like Friday where you basically was like, eh, I don't really care. Like it's too talented to screw up. Don't. I didn't really fall on that school of thought, but it's, it's a fun exercise and it's kind of funny to do now instead of like, look, it gets old to complain about it by like April or May. If like, I don't know, by that point, I'm like, look, you watch this team for 45 games. Mike is clearly not changing what he's doing, no matter how mad you tweet at him or whatever. But he has so there's been two qualms one the Hayden Leatherwood thing him not today was only his second start so they played six games and that kid has two starts with this point we'll just revisit again what do you think is going into it because I went and looked it up of the four bats he had this weekend he was 0 for 4 on a team that started three left-handers from their starting pitching uh he actually only faced a left-hander once this weekend uh the other three at bats came against right-handed pitching so what do you think it is at this point is anything like obviously nothing's changed but I just continue to be more mystified by it by the day. Is some of it that Ben Van Cleve's been a little bit more productive and now that Mike has more guys to see as we outlined with that five, four or five person argument in terms of filling out the last two spots? Like, what do you think it is? Because if you just took his sheer numbers, that's a guy that, that plays every day. And so I don't understand so, what's going into it. So it's an interesting conversation because the, the, like the conversation on, on Friday um, is different than the conversation today because you look at it today – and I don't include Calvin Harris in this, but, you know, Kemp Alderman started four, Leatherwood started two, and Ben Van Cleve has started three. And it's like, well, well, I don't necessarily understand what the argument is. Look, I understand Hayden Leatherwood was really good last year at the time. But Ben Van Cleve has hit this year. Kemp Alderman has hit this year. Why does Hayden Leatherwood deserve to start over those guys right now? And I'm not saying he shouldn't. I'm just saying I don't think it's as an egregious – egregious is a deal as, as some have made it out to be. I think Hayden Leatherwood is, is really good and can play his way into this lineup. 
also think Ben Van Cleve can play, and I think Kemp Alderman can play. So for right now, um, I have little issue with playing any of them, if that makes sense. Again, you can't really include Harris in there because he's having to catch every day right now. Um, but, you know, with those three guys in Burford, I think Burford's only started three games. Um, I just – I kind of think he's trying to get everybody in. Right now, I have little to no issue with it. But, you know, at some point, you 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 think that one of these guys will fade, and, and obviously Mike will more than likely play the, the better player at that point. I, I, I just – I have little issue with it when you consider that all these guys are swinging it well and he's just trying to get everyone at bat. I tend to fall in agreement mostly with that school of thought is if you're doing the pro Leatherwood thing, I think if you talk about – larger sample size, you know, him versus Ben Van Cleef, clearly he kind of wins that argument. But I, I don't have a problem with it, like, right now, per se. Or, like, I don't think it's, as like you said, as egregious as maybe some are making it out to be. Now, if 2021 uh, Hayden Leatherwood kind of holds true and then 2021 sure. Ben Van Cleef holds true and then Mike's still kind of platooning them or whatever combination of that is, you know, two weeks in the SEC sure. conference season – um, I think it's probably a different conversation. And then to add on top of that, I texted both you and Chase this on Friday because I was writing about this very subject on Friday's newsletter. And I, when I put it, when I opened up his like stats page or bio or whatever, almost like questioned the validity of this. I remember us having this, not argument, but like the, this was a, a storyline last year, right? Well, he, of the 67 games they played in 2021, he started 58 of them. That blew my mind. I would have guessed somewhere yeah. in the 30s. I, I couldn't believe that that was real. I know there was a stretch where, right, when Elko was out or whatever the case may be, he had to play every day because there was one more guy down. But 58, him start starting nine games for a guy who didn't begin the season as a regular contributor, regular starter, was wild to me. Like, I almost felt like I just, like, slept through the entire season. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it got to the point, right, when Leatherwood gets hurt. Um, that and here's what's uh, let's see conference. So he start he didn't start in five SEC games. Um, so it, it, you know when it got to, it got to the point where when Leatherwood went down, so he didn't start against Alabama. Um, doesn't look like he started one game against Florida. That um, looks like that was against Barco. Look, maybe he didn't start against Mississippi State. So he didn't start really against left-handed pitching is what it kind of looks like. And I don't think he started one game against Georgia. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of got to the point where he had to play every day and, and Mike was kind of forced to. But if I remember right, he didn't start some games in the postseason. Maybe that's accurate. I super game where Plumlee started. Yeah, I think Plumlee did start. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it. He did not play in one game at Arizona. So, yes. Um, and he did not start against Florida State in the postseason. So, and I think what happened was the discussion came at the end of the year when he started to struggle a little bit and Plumlee started to play every day because the games that he didn't start and why the, the topic is so probably fresh in your head is because the conversation happened at the end of the year. Um, he started That's not being in the starting lineup at the end of the year. And, and you know, that, that was what the conversation was. Like, well, is John Rice worth playing over him? Um, and, you know, because Leatherwood struggled a little bit towards the end. I mean, he had, you know, had a bad stretch, but kind of picked it up again in the postseason. So, uh, yeah, it's just kind of interesting how his career is going because he uh, is a guy that, man, he can really, really run it out of the ballpark at times, but he's kind of streaky too. 
Uh, yes, you were certainly right about that. He is definitely streaky. I was actually, as you were saying that, so he did not start game two um, in the Super Regional game. and that They threw a lefty, been, that guy. I was about to say, it was that Garrett Irvin kid, and he's Irvin, left-handed, yeah. is he not? He is. So that, to kind of adding to what you're talking about, that kind of fully – fully falls into it. It was a, it was a lefty righty thing. Honestly, if you want to get into, I have a, a one more non-serious, not as serious, like uh, line, common lineup gripes that I think Ole Miss fans had over the weekend and so far this year. But the other part of this was uh, I didn't understand. So he went with Ben Van Cleve and I get, he's trying to see probably some different things defensively with the whole Burford thing at third base, but he didn't play uh, Alderman in the game one either he didn't start Alderman and that to me I don't want to say more egregious because this is not that big of a deal as we keep mentioning but like that's a guy that needs to stockpile at bats to properly evaluate him if there's someone that should be given the benefit of the doubt absent a track record right now as you're rotating guys in and out isn't it him like that guy probably needs as most as bats as anyone just to see what you actually have in him and where he actually is yeah no I think that it's completely fair. He probably needs the time. I, I would agree with that. Well, you know, especially against D1 pitching. So, um, yeah, but he was really good today in, in his start. And, man, it's just – it's going to be a – you know, and that, you know, competition breeds success. It's going to be a war. But I shouldn't use the word war right now at all. But it's going to be a battle um, to, to see what guys get on the field um, out, of, out of those, you know, four. Because, you know, obviously, like I said, set – Seven of them are, are penciled in. The other one was the, the people get very upset that Jacob Gonzalez is batting fifth. And these are the ones where <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, like, I, I get it. Like, I, I get what people are upset about. But, like, I'm like, like it kind of falls in line what you tweeted on Friday where it's like, yeah, he's too talented. Like, this team might be too talented to even mess that up. But to, to appease the people that get upset, upset about that, one of the things I've tried to do with Mike Bianco in the last couple of years is, like, Instead of just be like, I don't understand, like, instead of say, I don't understand what he's thinking, try to understand what he's thinking. And in this case, I present it to you in this question. What is the argument? Like, what is the pro uh, Gonzalez fifth argument? I don't understand it. What is the benefit? Um, I think my, I don't have one. I can tell you what I think his thinking is. And he had in fact um, today, in fairness, that, that being Sunday night is really good. Um, I think Mike is a guy that believes, you know, your best hitter goes third. Your first two guys aren't necessarily your best two hitters. I'm going to, you know, have a guy that can put the ball in play and run a little bit, lead off spot, um, really gets on base, that type of thing. And then, you know, I think Mike's, uh, when he goes to bed at night and thinks about who he wants to put in a two-hole, um, I think it's a guy like, if you remember Austin Bosfield, I think yeah. that's his prototypical two-hole guy. It's a traditional um, line of thinking. Right. And I think a guy like Bench is, is similar in a lot of ways to Bossfield. Um, and then, you know, after that, you know, you got to put Elko, Graham, and Gonzalez in some sort of order. My argument to that would be the combination of Elko, Graham, and Gonzalez is too talented to be three, four, and five. So, however you have to do that, whether Bench leads off or Chats leads off or Gonzalez leads off, whatever, um, those three are too talented to have one of them in the five-hole, um, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And when you talk about Mike's kind of traditional thinking, I don't even know if it's fair to call it antiquated, but it's not like what the analytics geeks would right. put as their lineup by any stretch. It is what 
um, you know, it is Mike thinks I like in this mindset is more geared toward when people didn't know what analytics was, um, which I've still yet to get confirmation that Mike does know that, but we cannot, we can come back to that another day. But on top of that, the other part of it is one of these like equations has already been solved. Like one part of this equation has already been solved because we talked about Peyton Chatagnier and the reason, part of the reason I brought up the O for three note with three sat flies is that Chatagnier has not hit great to start this year. But he's had good at bats and has put the ball in play. Like the over three with three sack flies, like he's not striking out. And like he's doing what Mike wants in a leadoff hitter. Like he's, you know, like you said, not necessarily your best hitter is the guy that don't strike out and put the ball in play. Chadnye is like playing exactly what Mike like wants a leadoff hitter to do, whether that's you know, good, bad, whatever, right way to think about it, wrong way to think about it. That's probably also factoring this some because, you know, he views. I don't know if you've used the leadoff thing as settled, but Chatagnier's led off, I think, every single game this year except for the Saturday game against um, the Saturday game against Charleston Southern, and that was when he led Beach right. off. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's completely fair. Thanks, Chat. Uh, is his prototypical leadoff guy, especially with his lineup? Um, I think if it was me, um, the leadoff guy would uh, be T.J. McCants, and he was the leadoff guy for a large portion of last year. I, I really, really think he could thrive in that role. But in complete fairness, he's really thriving in the role he's in right now, so it's kind of hard to take him out of it. Yeah, all that dude does is hit, and it's crazy to uh, – like there has no been no sophomore slump. There has, And, again, look, we're two weekends into this, but there's been no dip. He is pretty much the entire time except for like a two-week streak last year that I think was in like early May of – off the top of my head, maybe I'm misremembering that. Well, it was not. It was in the SEC tournament and the uh, regional that he was not very good. So I was late toward the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. I guess that was, yeah. a, was a couple of weeks behind there. Yeah, other than that, like he's shown really no – like all he's done is hit the entire time he's been there, which is crazy. On the pitching side of this, which I think may be the more interesting part of it. Right. What did you think of Diamond? I thought he was okay. Um, he had two in a row where the velocity dipped after the first inning. He was up 93-94. Then it kind of got down to 88-90. But I will say the one of the last – I don't want to say one of the last two pitches. A couple of the last few pitches he threw, he reared back and got back up to 92-ish again with the fastball. But uh, just what did you think of how he pitched? Um, I'm no longer concerned. And concern's not the right word because I do wonder why his velocity is down. Um, I am no longer going to care about Derek Diamond's velocity because I don't think he's going to have it this year. I think he's going to be the guy that's 89 to 91 or 88 to 90, and he's going to have to pitch with that and figure out a way to get out. My question going forward is, is that good enough to get outs on Friday night at the SEC and the SEC at the level that you have to get outs on Friday nights in the SEC? That is my question, and that – won't be answered. Frankly, it's not going to get answered next week. It's not going to get answered the next. It'll get answered at Auburn in two in three weeks. It'll get answered when they go to uh, you know Fayetteville and go to LSU and host Mississippi State and all that good stuff. That's when it'll get answered. When Tennessee rolls in here um, the second weekend of SEC play, that's when we answer that question. So it's just kind of hard to answer right now. Um, I thought he was good. I thought he did what he had to do. I am going to have to see in three and four weeks when SEC teams roll in here if his arsenal that is 89 to 91, and it might be, I have no idea. We're going to have to see if that's good enough to get out from the SEC on Friday night. That's well put. That's exactly what I think of him. I just don't know. And like I, like you said, it, that's something that's not going to get answered because I know, like, like you said, I mean, I know he's going to get VCU out. 
I know he's going to get Charleston Southern out, but can he get an SEC lineup out on a Friday night when the other dude on the other side is going to be really, really good and the margin for error is slimmer? Uh, I guess if one, like if you want to go pro, con, whatever on this, he had a moment in the, uh, I can't remember if it was the first or the second inning. I think it was maybe the first where that game could have really gotten squirrely and like it could have led to like a three run inning. And granted, the dude hit the ball pretty hard, but I believe he got a fly out to right if I'm not mistaken, to get out of it, where last year what was one of his issues was when things went bad, he kind of compounded it, and it didn't, it didn't happen there. Like, that was a moment where he could have broken, right? He, it was the classic, he gets the first two guys out. You had an error by Burford, which was a really tough hop. It looked like it hit that place, the place between the grass and the uh, – the grass and the dirt and had a bunch of topspin and just bounced over him, but whatever. So he gets air. The next guy uh, reaches on a double and then he got the, uh, he said that drove in the run and then he got the out to third. So maybe I wasn't thinking about flat right? but I guess what I'm saying is how many times last year did diamond get the first two guys out? Something bad happened. One guy went on and it led to three runs in the inning. And you're like, how did this happen? I don't understand. He was in control of yeah. this entire inning until one dude reached base. So that didn't happen. And yeah. that happened on two occasions in this game. He got out of the fourth, too. Yeah, that's – no, that's really a uh, really good point. Things spiraled on him last year at times. It's kind of something that happened with Gunner at times. Um, so it's good to see that necessarily hadn't happened at times this year. Uh, but, again, I, I just – it's it's to the point with D.D. that, you know, like I, I got to see it against SEC opponents. Um, and we'll see. I'm not saying – Super it. fastball heavy. That's two starts in a row, and I don't know the exact, like, splits, but he was incredibly fastball heavy the first time, and at least for the first inning and a half, he was super fastball heavy the second time. And then it looked like, to me, this is actually something I just wrote down for Friday. In the first two innings, the pitches that they barreled up seemed to be off-speed stuff. Do you make anything of the how frequently he's throwing the fastball, or is that just kind of nothing? No. No, I mean – I think, frankly, they think at times they can overpower, um, can overpower teams like VCU. I think I, I don't know. I, I just we'll see. It's it's so hard with me with Diamond because the velo's down and he's not necessarily the guy that they probably recruited to be. And I don't mean that from an ability standpoint. I just mean for whatever reason the velocity is down. So uh, the persona and the profile that they have him um, have him at is is you know, not the same guy. I can tell you, I don't know what it's it, what it is after this weekend. His average velocity against College of Charleston was 89.9. Um, and I think it probably will go up a little bit this weekend. But, I mean, he's just going to be the guy that's going to sit in the 90s – or, excuse me, in the high 80s and hit a 90. And you're going to have to hope that breaking ball is really, really good and he can spot and locate because that, that's going to have to be the pitcher he is right now. Um, and for Ole Miss's sake, you hope that's good enough to get out on Friday night in SEC. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. Have, uh, you you watch a lot of SEC sports. Have you ever felt like a guy has been at a school like 600 years? Yes. I'm trying to think off the top of my head of an example of that. Okay. I can give you one right now that I'm watching for Arkansas baseball. Go ahead. Zebulon Vermillion. Yeah, that is a good this one. This cat has been here 86 years. He's is he's still pitching for Arkansas? He is pitching right now for Arkansas. He's the big long kid, right? He's tall? Yeah, yeah, really tall. Um, he's been a part of been like the weekend rotate, the preseason, I would say, weekend yes. rotation for at least seven years to where it's like, oh. He was in the rotation last year until the weekend they came to Oxford. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, what a name. The the most the most like uh, notorious like that guy's been here eighty six years is Cody Burns that played at Auburn. Yes, you remember now, him? He played quarterback and went and played receiver. Yeah, and then there's there's one more. There, I'm trying to think of an Ole Miss one, but I can't off the top of my head. It's probably just because we follow the team closer. But yeah, right. that's a that's a uh, that's a very good one. That guy did feel like he was there for forever. Um, damn it! Now I just can't think of one. So it's going to be uh, oh oh god! What was the the Frazier kid from Georgia that yes. played basketball? Was um, it JJ. Yeah, that was another one. And then. <laughs> Was Sunday out of Gaines a four-year Sunday guy? out of Gaines is a Georgia 62 years, yeah. I was about to say, that felt like he was there for a good jillion years. So, but good for Zebulon exercising. I hope he has another year. I hope to see him again in 2023. Because it was- I vote that, like, guys like him that have no, like, pro future should just be able to pitch to Arkansas until he's, like, 40. Yeah. Like, Will Golson should still be able to play at Ole Miss. Will Golson was another one. I bet uh, that's a one that opponents think of. And you're like, damn, how yeah. is that there? And that's because he just happened – like, he wasn't the most talented dude, but he played from day one based he, on the teams that he played hit. on and fitting their need. And he's another guy that just hit and hit and hit and hit and hit. And that's usually a good way to stay in the lineup. Yeah. He played – he started at, like, six different positions um, over his four years and hit, like, three, 340 for his career or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, I just saw He never had a ton to say about it. He was just kind of like, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> just go out here and hit the ball. Um did you see anything interesting around the league this week? Um, I was looking at that a little bit earlier, but not totally other than Mississippi yeah. State losing to a terrible Northern Kentucky team. With Sims on the mound. It, all right. So, I'm, I'm going to ask you, and you can tell me I'm wrong. Um, that's fine. At some point, when you, when you lose the series to Long Beach and you lose the series to Northern Kentucky, and I think this is two different conversations, right? Like, people are like, State will be fine. And I'm like, I agree. And they're like, this is not a big deal. And I'm like, well, hold up. Like, that loss to Northern Kentucky is why you're going to be, like, 18th in the RPI in June instead of 12. Like, yeah, it kind of does matter. And we can argue that RPI is screwed up, and I would agree. But to say those games have, like, no relevance of what you can do in the postseason is kind of just idiotic. Uh, I would agree with that as well. Like, it's not insignificant, but people – like, it, it, it's the age-old internet deal where people can't understand – instead of even qualifies nuance, but two things being true or something not being completely insignificant. Like, something significant does not necessarily have to be an indicator of what the team is going to be. Like, right. that could matter for them, but I still think they're going to be fine too. But I did look up at the scoreboard. I flipped it on in the fifth inning because once I saw the score, and I was like, wait a minute, what the hell? Because I had actually looked up what Northern Kentucky had done uh, either er- the previous weekend and the previous two years, and uh, it wasn't great. Um, they were they are barely a D one team. Yeah, they're zero and seventeen in twenty twenty before the shutdown. Seventeen and thirty one last year. Fifteen and forty two in two thousand and nineteen. I don't know why I know that um, or thought to look that up, but it was surprising. I was like, wait a minute, how is how is this happening? But it them in them in Northern Alabama should get them a series. Oh yeah, the, the knocking off SEC opponents. That's uh that would be that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. Magnolia State chaos. Um, LSU lost in the midweek to La Tech and played really crappy, but I think yeah. La Tech's really good. The amount of people that La Tech had in that game and the ticket prices we talked about on the Thursday or Friday show or whatever um, was pretty cool because it was cold, cold as hell. Like, you could see dudes breast batting, and they had they had a bunch of people there. Yeah. Um, I take it that LSU or Louisiana Tech fans probably don't like LSU. 
Um, yeah, I would say I think someone pointed out a decent idea, and I don't know how doable this is, but they got good college baseball in a state where you typically think of LSU not having any competition when it comes to sports. A two-lane ULL La Tech LSU, like one of those round robin deals at like a neutral yeah, side. That'd be, fun. That'd be kind of cool. Let's just do a regional. Just, just put them awesome. in a regional in June. That would be crazy. I don't do you know, know how I, drunk it would be. Yes, that would uh yeah, good God. <laughs> that would be uh quite something. And then have it in New Orleans and that would just add to it. Just give everyone oh, God. Some hand grenades. Um let's see. Oh, I had a couple more pitching things just from that. Drew McDaniel. Okay. So John Gaddis came on in relief. He didn't get a start this weekend. He was terrific. Um, mm-hmm. So that looked every bit as advertising, almost even more so a year uh, than a week ago. He worked very quickly. And he – I thought Brady Bramlett did a nice job. He throws that, like, split change that you don't see a ton anymore. Right. And I thought Brady Bramlett on the broadcast did a nice job of, like, weighing why you don't see it anymore versus how effective it is. So um, I, didn't, I didn't see that. What, what did he say? Because I, I, I missed maybe an inning of this game. I had let the dog out. So he was basically arguing – not arguing. He was basically explaining that, like, a split change, because of the way it's gripped, similar to a circle change, puts more stress on your elbow. And one is just a, more, a little bit more difficult to throw in general. But, like, if you have the correct mechanics and you kind of commit to honing it in, it's an incredibly effective pitch because instead of having, like, the sharper bite that you see, um, you know, with, like, breaking balls and, like, you don't see big looping breaking balls anymore – this one just kind of like dies out on you. Like it goes in like a straight line and then just kind of plummets to where it's looking like it's run out of gas instead of having like a ton of depth to it. I thought it was just a very fascinating explanation <laughs> because truthfully with the way they have these, they kind of try to mold these pitchers at Ole Miss when they get them here now to more of like a slider type feel. Uh, I didn't know he threw a split change. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, no, that is, that is kind of interesting. I, I have a, so I'll get to Drew in just a second. Um, I think Brady Brownlin's pretty good. I thought he was great. I thought Maybe he was I'm crazy, really good on the broadcast too. It's it's he knows how to work in like knowledge that he gained from being a baseball player without like throwing it in your face like oh this guy clearly played. I thought he was very good. Yeah, I I, I really enjoyed um him today. Um, but yeah, Gaddis was really good, really good. Um, Drew McDaniel's the interesting one, right? Because like you look at him and it's like ah oh, three innings and he gave up one hit and how, how he gave up three runs and he walked three people. What the hell was going on? Um, wasn't great, wasn't awful. Um, but I think, I think Drew McDaniel, and, and so follow me here. I don't think Drew McDaniel is a great option in, in bullpen, in the bullpen, because I don't think what his stuff does plays in high leverage situations. Um, I don't think he's a great option on Friday night because I don't think his stuff plays on Friday night. I think the role for Drew McDaniel, if there is a role for Drew McDaniel, is the Sunday starter that gives you four innings and gives up three runs or gives you five innings and gives up four runs, which, frankly, is plenty fine for this offense on Sunday. You don't have to be great on Sunday, like on the mound. You don't have to even be good. You just got to keep them in it. And I think the more and more I watch him, I'm going to talk myself into him being an adequate Sunday option for Ole Miss. Some Sam Smith vibes. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Which, like, because, like, and it's weird because, like, they're – Now, let me say this. He's infinitely more talented than Sam Yes, Smith. that's fair. That That's completely fair from, like, yes, very, much more talented. But in terms of, like, what he's kind of been as a pitcher so far and what you're asking him to do, it's fascinating because I guess I'll stick to my guns and say I eventually think that 
ends up being Washburn. But if like you're, what you're saying, like if Mike has that school of thought, like Washburn could end up being better, but you're going to get, you could get value from him elsewhere to where, like you mentioned, right. Daniel, it doesn't project as well elsewhere. Um, you know, that's, that, that's certainly an option there. I'm just curious to see, like you, we keep saying with all these dudes, once you get in against stiffer competition, does it become a six runs in two innings and like it, it, right. it can't start that way on Sundays because that happened a couple of times. That last happened year. at times last year. It's why Diamond had to get out of the rotation. Right. It became just like um, hey, we can't start this far behind against, you know, good competition. 40, uh, 74 pitches, 44 strikes, three walks. I think he got two ground outs, four fly outs, a couple Ks. And, uh, you know, I think with him, you talk about not being great on the mound. I think the one thing that might make or break that is throwing strikes and staying in the zone because the one thing that can quickly lead to a four spot versus, you know, a dude hitting a solo shot over the fence to take an early lead is, uh, you know, putting two dudes on base via the free pass. That's how you get into a crooked letter inning pretty quick. Yep, yep, yep. So, got to be better in the strike zone. But just the more I watch him, it kind of felt like he's the guy that's, that's able to go out there and compete on Sunday and give you a shot think that might be a good role for him because, man, if you can just find somebody that eats those first four innings um, and then lets what I think, man, is going to be a pretty dadgum good bullpen. Um, if you can just find somebody that can eat four innings on Sunday, that uh, that really sets you up with what I think this offense is going to be able to do to Sunday pitching. Top of the fifth in a 5-2 game, Ole Miss put the, through the haymaker in the bottom of the six. But to start the sixth inning once Diamond went out, Mike Bianco went to Hunter Elliott, and Hunter Elliott was terrific. He surrendered one hit over two innings of uh, relief, four strikeouts, and was really just kind of nasty. Um, now that you've kind of seen a little bit more, and I know you were kind of in and out because you guys had to work and you were going to the game, but, like, that's, uh, that's telling to me, is it not? Because that game was still in question at that point, and he had Hunter right. Elliott. It looked like a no-doubter, like he was the only one warming up, and he was terrific. Yeah, um, that that is interesting that he's the guy that, you know, he was comfortable. Um, I don't know, and, and this is the question we'll never have answered. It's like, how long were you wanting to go there if that game's close? Were you going to try to bridge it from Hunter uh, Elliott to, to Brandon Johnson, or were you going to go to Jack at some point? Um, and the game got out of hand, so we'll never know. But it was interesting that in a close game, in a game that, you know um, – could, you know, it was in the balance that it, he trusts this true freshman left-hander from Tupelo to, to go out there and give him multiple outs, multiple innings. Um, and to, like you said, kid was really, really good. So uh, excited for him. It's, uh, it's, it's real stuff from the left side, man. And I think, I think there's more in the tank there from a velo standpoint. I think he's going to be really, really good. I expect by the time he leaves Ole Miss for him to absolutely be in the rotation at some point. I think you're right as well. And it's just fascinating that that was the guy who went to, you know, the, the, the losing a game and then them not playing another nine-inning game cost us opportunities to see more guys. I'd like to see Riley Maddox again. But I'll give you one name that has pitched at least twice this year, maybe three appearances. I'll double-check this real quick. But he went back to Mitch Morell after Hunter, Hunter Elliott. And that is kind of – I don't want to say dark horse because what do I know where they left? Right. Spring or fall. Yeah. No, I was just – Oh, yeah, I was saying he – I thought you were flacking me down for something. I was just saying he – talk about a candidate for a guy that, you know, we didn't really have a role last year that might make a jump. They seem to be pretty high on him or bullish at least. 
so if I remember right, and I'm I'm ninety five percent on this, I remember seeing the rap soto numbers after the season last year. morell has got a real, real high spin rate. And if that's a guy that can harness some stuff and 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 be able to maybe, you know, throw some off speed and and in there, I think he's a guy that could help them at some point. I think it's uh, I don't think I'll say it this way. I do not think that it is insignificant that he has pitched twice this year. I think that they think if he's in the zone and can control and harness off-speed pitches, that he can help them. Um, like I said, the high spin rate is not something you can teach. It is and, – and, you know, his velo has been pretty good. So, uh, I'm interested to see him. He uh, He's a guy that, that I thought last year, um, you know, at some point in his career was going to help Ole Miss. And I won't be shocked if that year is this year. Three innings of relief, six strikeouts, zero walks. Uh, come That'll on, play. That's what that you want him to do. Um, do you remember? Um, so uh, this this is like giving me like um, tremors because like I, I I'm watching ULL play baseball against Arkansas. Do you remember when Ole Miss played in the Super Regional and ULL just kept switching pitchers and kept switching pitchers till they tried to find one that worked? They're currently doing the same thing against Arkansas right now. Like they've gone to four pitchers in this inning, which is always great for dudes trying to uh, write a story and get out uh, of the game. <laughs> It's nine o'clock on a Sunday. You know somebody's not making deadlines. Every uh, every one of those dudes um, had beards too, which was wild. Um, <laughs> Brandon Johnson is alive and absolutely looked the part today. Uh, that was just like okay, sweet. He seems fun. Like yeah, he's, that looked exactly he's, like I figured it would. Not not on the milk carton. He dominated some cats from VCU, and uh, we'll see you again on Tuesday, Brandon. Like I mean, uh, you know, Mike was frustrated. Like. <laughs> The, it, the, he probably didn't want to have to take Gaddis out, but it's like we might run roll these cats at some point. And if I don't put him in, he's like, you know, Brandon Johnson's probably sitting over there and he understands why he's not getting in the game. But he's also at some point going to get pissed off if you don't put him in the game. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, it's some of this is just a, a weird quirk in the calendar. But like, had he not gotten that inning today, I don't know what odds you could get on us just wagering between ourselves. Brandon Johnson was not pitched till the month of March, but that would have been a true <laughs> statement had he not gotten that inning today, which is kind of wild <laughs> to think about. Like, what the hell? But it's just a product of them losing the games, right? That's the poster child of like, well, we're not in a close game. We're losing innings. I'm getting other guys' work. I, I mean, to, that to me, if there's any sort of doubt of like, Mike knows exactly what he has and like it's probably not necessarily worried about it. He's not high on the list to quote-unquote see him, but you might need to get him some work. That confirmed it all for me. He was terrific. Yeah, and, you know, Jack Doherty doesn't even get loose this weekend. Um, I'll say this. I I am interested in next weekend simply because, man, like you uh, – I think at some point next weekend you're going to play a close game. I'm interested to see what Mike thinks roles are. If Ole Miss is going to play a close game next weekend, I hope it's on Friday. So everyone's available, and you can kind of see what he thinks about where people are, are in, in the pecking order. What Let's play that out. Derek Diamond, it's a three. Ole Miss is leading three to two. Derek Diamond gives you five innings, and you've got to get to the ninth. How do you think it goes? I'll, uh, I think, I'll come on out there. Ooh. I think it's Hunter Elliott to Brandon Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, how does Jack Doherty fit into that? Right, that's true. Is that a guy, though, that, like, I mean, I guess you're right. Like, I guess that 
maybe the answer is Jordan to Johnson. And, you know, if because I guess if you're thinking about a guy that you would use in another close game on Saturday, it's probably Hunter Elliott instead of Jack Doherty. Like, if it's a game – Yeah, I think he would try to get – I think what he would try to do is get three innings from uh, Doherty and Johnson pitch tonight so that Johnson would be available on Saturday. Um, And I think, you know, he would bring Johnson in earlier if Doherty got to the point where he he was not, you know, efficient in getting out. And then he would have Hunter Elliott plenty uh, available on Saturday. I think if he had his druthers in that situation, that would be what he did. Um, But I do think – I do think Hunter Elliott's the next guy. Like, I think he's got his top two, and I think it's obvious at this point that uh, Hunter Elliott is the third guy in the, uh, oh, that guy needs to pitch high leverage innings for us out of the bullpen pecking order. I think that's probably indicative by him coming out first and when the game is still 5-2. I think yeah. uh, I want to see my man Riley Maddox again, not just because he's a prep guy, but that 95. Like, we did, that's one of the, like, casualties of losing innings. But, like, like how real is that? Because if, that re- if that's real, then it becomes a different conversation because that will yeah. – that is sustainable. That will get anyone out. Oh, oh, God, we have to call the police. What happened? Um, Arkansas, Arkansas just hit a three-run homer um, uh, to take the lead in the eighth. And as the kid is approaching third base, he, like, stops and does a massive fist pump. We, we have got a call. Oh, we got a bat flip, too. We're going to have to – you're out there in Dallas. You're near the Round Rock Classic, right? You should, you should call the police. I will go out there and make a citizen's arrest myself. This actually leads me to how I wanted to close the podcast with – uh, a completely serious question about Arkansas and Ole Miss baseball. Uh, Banks Tolly today made a great catch in the outfield in a 14-3 game or 13-3, whatever it was at the time. And he got up and did a fist pump. He was jacked up. Do they take him to Arkansas? Do you think they will allow him in Fayetteville? That seems like a threat to his safety. I think he has to stay home. I don't know if Banks Tolly will be on the travel roster, but when Ole Miss heads to Fayetteville this year, I think you have to leave him home. I don't think it's fair to risk the kid's safety. And I don't think it's fair to the team to have that distraction going on, having a guy that fist pumped playing with, you know, Arkansas on the other side. I don't know what they'd do to him. That's true. Arkansas is probably allergic to that kind uh, kind of thing, even though I did see their guy, like, literally stop right before third base and just give this massive fist pump. Um, Dave Van Horn's not living that one down, if I have anything to say about it. That, that was one of the most um, – garbage press conferences i have ever seen speaking of garbage did you see what tennessee did this weekend uh yeah that's that's tough 68 why are we wait there's no way you you cannot convince me that you get more out of that than you do just playing an inner squad or like where is old dominion like someone instead no it was no 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 no. do not disparage old dominion old dominion was a win from omaha last year that is iona Excuse me, Iona. I don't know why I said Old Dominion. I don't even know where that – I think I was looking up a schedule earlier. Iona. <laughs> I, that's – yeah, That that's – the only thing I know about Iona is that is where uh, one uh, Rick Pitino is. Yeah, that's tough that's because that team got destroyed the week before as well. Like, I, I agree. I think they'd have been better off playing an inner squad. Look, it happens. Excuse you got to schedule someone. I don't know what Iona was a couple of years ago, but 68 runs in, in – 34 innings because they went two games that were nine innings. And I think Iona finally wised up and was like, all right, we'll do the run rule. Yeah. Excuse me on Old Dominion. They didn't get out of the region. They did host regional at South Carolina last year because why, why would they not? Um, but yeah, there, there's no way that you got more out of uh, just playing, you know, um, playing Iona where you probably saw. I didn't watch any of the games, obviously, but probably saw 84 mile an hour fastballs. Like, I, I, I love college baseball. I don't love it enough to watch that crap. 
I, uh, <laughs> I am with you there. I saw the 68 runs number and I was like, wait a minute, what did they play one of those four gamers? <laughs> no, wait, they, they scored, they scored 68 runs, which is three less than Ole Miss has scored all year. And they scored that in a weekend. That, uh, <laughs> one of the games is like 27, two. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's tough. Um, so thoughts and prayers to the Gales. I hope it gets better for them. I'm not sure how it could get worse, but, um, he don't, is, like, don't like their odds. Yeah, I don't think they'll be making the field of 64. He is Colin Brister, uh, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent. I appreciate the time, brother, and we'll check in with you later in the week. All right, man, man. Sounds good. All right, that's our, uh, that's our show. I appreciate you tuning in, and if you made it to the end, thanks for making it a part of your Monday. We'll be back with something in the midweek, and then Colin and I probably again on Friday, coupled with Mailback Friday. So be on the lookout for that, and have a wonderful start to your week.